Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey. Wait, what? No, we're not. I'm Andy. And I'm Rachel. Together we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We release every second week on a Tuesday and we cover crime from all over the world with an emphasis on the UK. We admit, we're no Beth and Bailey, but when you've caught with them, why not come and give us a listen? We can be found wherever you're listening right now. Take care and stay safe. Hi, welcome back to episode 37 of True Crime B&B. I'm Bailey. And I'm Beth. This week, we are doing the flipperoo again, Mm -hmm. and I am the bad guy this week. Yep, so you are all set to take it away whenever you want to. All right, so this week I'm talking about a case that happened last year in California, and it was pretty well publicized at the time, but I wanted to pull together the comprehensive story. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the story of the murders of Christy Giles and Hilda Marcella Cabrales Arzola. Okay. Christy Giles grew up as a shy, soccer-loving tomboy in Mount Olive, Alabama. She had a sister named Misty, so it was Christy and Misty. Oh. Her mom was Dusty, who was a nurse administrator, and her father was Leslie, a former military policeman. She was always the pretty girl, the one who turned heads, and at the age of 14, she was at the local mall... And she was discovered and signed with the famed Wilhelmina Modeling Agency. Okay. This started very early for her. Mm -hmm. Christy gave up soccer and started booking fashion shoots and traveling. She was doing magazine shoots and commercials around the country and in Latin America. When Christy and her then-fiancé had gone to the 2019 Burning Man Festival in Nevada, and the two of them decided to elope. Mm -hmm. Her husband, Jan Silliers, described her as... Loving, kind, and the biggest defender of everybody that she loved. And by the time she was 24, they had moved out to Los Angeles, and she had a career as a model, a popular social media influencer. She was big on Instagram. She was real famous for her reels, and she did funny little video voiceovers and things like that. So she got pretty big based on that, and she was trying to break into acting. Hilda Marcella Cabrales Arzola, I'm just going to call her Hilda. Fair. Grew up in San Pedro Garza Garcia, Mexico, and had studied architecture in Mexico. I'm not making this an architect mayhem because it's not just about Hilda. Yeah. Okay. She had completed a semester abroad at Yonsei University in Seoul, South Korea, in 2018. She had graduated cum laude from the University of Monterrey in Nuevo León, Mexico, in 2019. In 2021, Hilda was focusing on interior design and had moved to Los Angeles and was working as a project manager. She spoke English fluently and she could also understand French. Her goal was ultimately to emigrate to Canada. She was trying to broaden her skills and life experiences to make that possible one day. Mm -hmm. She was designing custom furniture, doing architectural renderings for pay. She was even teaching herself how to write code. Mm -hmm. So she was a a go-getter. Very accomplished, it sounds like. Christy was 24 and Hilda was 26, and they met through mutual friends in Los Angeles and discovered that they shared creative interests. They became close friends quickly, and Christy even asked Hilda to let her intern with her to learn the interior design business because she knew that modeling was going to be a limited time mm-hmm. career that she could hold. Yeah, it's good to have other skill sets That's for the right. future. And soon they were socializing regularly. Mm-hmm. On November the 12th, 2021, Christy and Hilda went out with a third female friend to a Friday night party, but when Christy and Hilda decided to go to an after party, the third friend decided to call it a night. But Christy and Hilda were having fun together, they weren't ready to head home, and so they went on to the after party. 
Since the other friend had been their ride, they really had no transportation to get back home from there. Mm. There were photos posted on social media that had been taken at an after-hours warehouse party in East Los Angeles. They seemed to be having a lot of fun. It was very crowded. It looked very loud. Some of the pics posted from that night showed that Hilda and a guy named David Pierce were hanging out, getting kind of chummy, mm -hmm. taking selfies, partying together, and with him hanging all over her. In every picture, he's making the same poochy face, like a duck face. Well, it's L.A. So, when David Pierce, who was a, a camera operator, film producer, and a part-time event planner, suggested that they go back to his house to continue the party, they all went. Two women were seen at Pierce's house in the 8600 block of Olympic Boulevard in the north end of the Pico-Robertson neighborhood of Los Angeles. Along with them and David Pierce were also two other men. It's believed that some recreational drug use may have been going on, but it's further believed that one of the men, most likely David Pierce, slipped GHB into the women's drinks. And as they started to feel like something was wrong, they were ready to leave. Mm -hmm. Text messages exchanged between Christy and Hilda were clear that they were ready to go home. Christy sent a text, let's get out of here, with the wide eyes emoji. Mm -hmm. Hilda texted back yes and said she had called for an Uber and she told Christy it was 10 minutes out. So they had made their first move to go home. Mm -hmm. All they had to do was get down to the street. But when the Uber showed up at 5.44 a.m., no one came outside. The driver waited five minutes for the passengers, but when they didn't show, the driver drove away. He has no idea what happened. Maybe they fell asleep, maybe whatever, but mm -hmm. he can't wait forever. Something had prevented the women from leaving the house, and neighbors later claimed that they had heard moans that sounded like someone in pain for several hours in the early morning. Much later, around 5 p.m. on November 13, 2021, a security video showed a black Toyota Prius without license plates pull up next to a sidewalk at Southern California Hospital in Culver City. The video shows three men, dressed all in black, wearing bandana masks, pushing Christie's body out of the car onto the sidewalk and taking off. They just dumped her in... They dumped her on the sidewalk. Christie was already dead by the time her body had been left there. Mm -hmm. They did tox screens, and she had cocaine, fentanyl, gamma-hydroxybutyric acid, which is GHB, the date rape drug, mm -hmm. the main date rape drug, and ketamine, which is also a date rape drug, in her system, and she had died of multiple drug overdose. Two hours later, the same plateless car drove up to Kaiser Permanente West Los Angeles Hospital, where two men were seen taking partially clad Hilda out of the car. One of the men told a security officer that they had found her wandering around a neighborhood and they wanted to do the right thing by bringing her to the hospital where she could get help. Hilda, unlike Christy, was alive when she was found. She was, however, in critical condition and while she remained in a coma for nearly two weeks, she was declared brain dead on November 24th and her family made the devastating decision to take her off of life support on November 28th, a day before she would have turned 27. She ultimately died of multiple organ failure and had cocaine, MDMA, which is ecstasy, and several other unnamed drugs in her system. Now, I'm sure that the talk screen lists what those drugs are, but I couldn't find it in the news articles. Mm -hmm. Hilda was also found to have vaginal abrasions. Jan Silliers, Christie's husband, said that she had shared her location with him and that he would keep checking in now and then to see where she was and make sure she was okay. Mm -hmm. After he hadn't heard from her for a while, he checked to see where she was and it was him who first realized something was wrong because while he was out of town in San Francisco, Christie's iPhone location was showing her at a hospital. He called Dusty, Christie's mom, 
saying, I can't get a hold of Christy, but her phone says she's at a hospital, mm-hmm. and it's this hospital, and then Christy's mom, Dusty, called the hospital. When Dusty found out that her daughter had been tossed out of the car onto a sidewalk, she said, like a bag of trash, mm-hmm. she collapsed onto the floor. She called Jan back, who was already at the airport trying to get home. It had been hoped by her family that some of Hilda's organs might be in good enough condition to donate them, but with all the drug damage and the fact that she died from multiple organ failure, Mm -hmm. I couldn't find confirmation that they were actually viable for transplant. Probably not. The women's families have expressed opinions about what they believe happened to them. Jan Silliers stated that although Christy might have occasionally used recreational drugs, that she never would have willingly taken a mixture of these serious drugs and anesthetics The families are convinced that Pierce or someone else had drugged them with the GHB in order to sexually assault them, and the women overdosed because of the amount and combination of drugs that were given to them. Christie's mother, Dusty Giles, later explained that her daughter had been taught by her military policeman father on self-defense and hand-to-hand combat. She said she was armed for battle, but in this situation, by drugging them, they didn't even have a chance to fight for their lives. As soon as the death of Christy and the hospitalization of Hilda started blowing up the news, other women started reaching out to Jan to express that they had experienced similar stories, with the only difference being that they hadn't died. The common denominator was David Pierce, whom they claimed had drugged them, sexually assaulted them. Some had previously reported to the police, but no charges were written on these cases. Based on the flood of new corroborating information that was coming in from the previous victims, in December 2021, David Brian Pierce was arrested and held in lieu of $3.4 million bail. He was ordered to be arraigned on January 12, 2022, on charges including two counts of forcible rape and one count each of rape of an unconscious or asleep person and sexual penetration by a foreign object stemming from the alleged attacks against other women that took place in August 2010, February 2019, February 2020, and October 2020. Law enforcement has posted press releases asking for any other potential victims to come forward so that Pierce can be charged with as many of his crimes as possible. At the beginning of April 2022, Christy and Hilda's deaths were officially ruled homicides. By July 5th, 2022, charges in the deaths had finally been filed. David Brian Pierce, born February 17, 1982, was charged with manslaughter, as well as sale and transport and furnishing of a controlled substance. Brant Walter Osborne, who was born September 12, 1979, who was Pierce's roommate, was charged with two counts of accessory to manslaughter after the fact. Mm-hmm. Arraignment on these charges were scheduled to take place July 11, 2022. It later came out that within days of these deaths, Alexander Croteau and David Marietta, who were a married couple who knew Brant Osborne through work, were stunned when on a shoot with him, he bragged to them that he had been partying with Christy and Hilda. He claimed they all took drugs together and that when he left the apartment to get a COVID test for a commercial shoot, he returned and his roommate had told him that Christy had died. Osborne checked her pulse. I was just going to say, what did he think? I understand if it's oh, she's dead, I don't understand, but you know what I mean? I understand if, oh, she's dead, that we have to go dispose of her and not call 911 to get help because it's too late. But you were literally seen in Instagram posts with this person, and her husband is tracking her phone. What did you... Most of the Instagram posts were with Hilda and Pierce. I didn't see any that were Christy and Pierce, but Hilda and Christy were there together, and Christy's also missing. 
Right. You're right. There's a way to get back to them. Should have gone back to them. I did get back to them. So when Osborne checked her pulse, they were freaking out and made the super wise decision not to call 911 Mm -hmm. because they didn't want to get in trouble for the drugs. Then he bragged that he had been the one who came up with the plan to dump the women at two different hospitals. This couple got the impression that he was proud of his part in the goings-on of the night and how wild the whole thing had been, and he described it to them as, quote, I have had the craziest weekend of my life. Mm-hmm. A third man, Michael Ansbach, who was born sometime in 1975, was also arrested in December, but no charges were filed, and he was not mentioned in the latest press release. According to his lawyer, he is acting as a witness, and I don't have this in my write-up, but what it sounds to me like is that he was there that night that when Christy died, he was the third man who took her to the hospital. Mm -hmm. But when they went back to the apartment to get Hilda, he's like, dude, I'm out. I don't want to be part of this. This is going too far. It's too far, and they should have taken both of them at the same time or called 911, and if they had done that, maybe there would have been a chance. Hilda could have survived. Maybe so, but Mm. it was 12 hours after they apparently slipped them the anesthetic or whatever that put them to sleep. Mm -hmm. GoFundMes for both women were created. The one for Christy Giles has amassed over $134,000, which her husband is using for legal representation, private investigators, private autopsies, and to fly Christie's family back and forth for court dates because they live in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And all of this is happening in Los Angeles. The GoFundMe for Hilda has been closed for donations, but it raised over $68,000, which were used for travel by her family from Mexico to Los Angeles, her medical expenses while she was in intensive care, and finally the transportation of Hilda's body back to her hometown in Mexico for burial. Mm -hmm. Because Christie's family had always hoped that they would someday be able to have that wedding ceremony that never happened, they were fixated on her wedding dress because, remember, she had run off and eloped with Jan when they went to Burning Man in 2019. Her mother asked Jan to please let her have the dress so that it could be buried with her cremated remains and a box of letters from people who love her. Dusty Giles said, It won't be on her, but I don't want anyone else to wear it. It's hers, and she unfortunately never got to have her wedding. Dusty and Leslie Giles have traveled back and forth from Alabama to California to attend the court appearances of David Pierce, and they're even going to the court hearings where he does not appear. They just want to be there. They are furious that the previous times that women accused David Pierce of drugging them that nothing happened to him. Had these charges been taken seriously and if useful evidence had been collected, had he been pursued in those earlier criminal complaints, her daughter wouldn't have crossed paths with him and her daughter wouldn't have had to die. And neither would Hilda. Well, I'm just shocked that he isn't on a list somewhere. I mean, even if you aren't convicted or whatever, it should still be on record. Hey, this guy is has multiple people coming forward and saying that he did something, whether or not we have proof, that's at least... I get the impression that in certain social circles that he was on a list, but it was nothing official. I wonder if maybe that might have been the reason the third friend didn't want to go to that after party. Oh, I've heard things about that guy. You guys want to take your chance? I'm good. There's nothing in the articles that say that, but Mm -hmm. this friend was friends with Jan also, and her friends were calling her and saying, did you hear what happened? David Pierce got, he's the one who drugged these women. Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
These two tragic deaths were caused at the heart by the drugging of the two women. I wanted to see what I could find out about the prevalence of drug-facilitated sexual assaults. One thing that was a surprise to me was that I found articles on GHB in particular, all the way back to the early 2000s, and you said that it's been around since the 1990s, but I had never heard of it 20 years ago. I don't think I had ever heard of GHB until probably 10 to 12, maybe 15 years ago Mm -hmm. at the earliest. But even that long ago, it was already on the rise. 75% of acquaintance rapes involve drugs or alcohol. So that might be somebody slipping a drug into your drink. Might also just be someone encouraging you to keep drinking even when you know that you've had enough. We all know these precautions we're supposed to take. You open your own drink and you don't drink beverages that you don't open yourself. You don't share or exchange drinks with anyone. You don't drink anything out of a punch bowl or a shared container. Watch the bartender who's making your drink because just because they're the bartender doesn't mean that they're innocent people. Nope. Or, you know, and even if the bartender's not going to get anything out of it by drugging you, Mm -hmm. they might get paid by somebody to drug you so that someone else can take advantage of you. Yeah. Never accept a drink or food from someone that you don't trust. Never leave your food or drink and walk away from it. And if you do, don't come back and finish it. Throw it out. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Keep your drink covered even when it's right in front of you. And we were talking, the first time we tried to record this, <laughs> we were talking about how a pickpocket can steal your wallet right mm-hmm. out of your purse and you're never going to know that they ever touched you. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for someone to reach around you and drop a pill or a liquid into your drink and you will not have any idea they did it. Especially in a bar that's loud and stuff like that. If they come up to you and touch your lower back and whisper something in your ear because it's so loud, you're paying fully attention with your head to the side. It's so easy to just even if you're just turning you. to your side and talking to your friend mm-hmm. with your drink right in front of you. Mm-hmm. I've got hair. As soon as I turn my head to the left, the right side of my hair is right there blocking my view. And if I'm not wearing contacts, this <laughs> peripheral, you might as well. You could literally come at me with a machete and I wouldn't know you were there. Oh, God. Like, Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, it's not that hard to do. So, keep your drink covered, yes. even when it's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Smell the liquid. Look at it. If it seems unusual in texture, scent, consistency, appearance, or taste, don't eat it. Don't drink it. Don't let somebody goad you into drinking more than you want to. Just because someone buys you a drink doesn't mean that you have to accept it. Always leave a bar or party together with somebody that's trustworthy, and that doesn't mean some guy you just met that's real cute. Mm -hmm. Because that guy may be real cute, and he may be a predator. Mm -hmm. If your friend seems more intoxicated than they should be for what they've had to drink, get them to a safe place immediately. And that includes if your friend is acting out of character, not just drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, there may have effects on you that aren't clumsy, or you can't come up with the right words or Mm -hmm. whatever but if your friend does not seem normal get them help get medical help not just police help tell the doctors that you fear you may have been drugged or that your friend may have been drugged so that they know what tests to run these drugs tend to cause people to feel detached from their bodies and their surroundings they might be aware of what's happening to them but unable to move or to move effectively enough to fight back Mm -hmm. They might also have an amnesiac effect so that even if you understand what's happening to you at the moment, you probably won't remember later what happened to you. Mm -hmm. The sign you may have been drugged and assaulted is that you will wake up with no memory of what happened. You remember having had a drink, maybe you just had one, but then you have no memory after that. Mm -hmm. Your clothing may be off, but you don't remember taking it off. It might be open or disheveled. It might be ripped or torn or stained and you have no idea how that happened. You might have scrapes or bruises on your body. No clue how you got bruised or scraped. 
your body might feel as if you've had sex without you remembering actually having had sex or who that might have been with. This would be terrifying, and a lot of survivors feel terrible guilt, but being drugged is never your fault, and being assaulted is never your fault. These numbers really surprised me, and these numbers are why it's so important to get help right away. Rohypnol, and I mentioned the first time we recorded this, <laughs> Rohypnol has never been approved by the FDA for medical use in the United States for any reason. Yep. And I had no clue about that. I thought it was a legitimate drug. Puss thought it was also a legitimate <laughs> She's drug. She's like, I use that all the time. <laughs> anyway, Rohypnol leaves the body within 36 to 72 hours. So if you haven't been tested before that time period is up, there's no evidence that it happened to you. Mm -hmm. GHB leaves the body within 10 to 12 hours. And GHB being the most common drug that is used for this purpose, that shows you how critical it is that you get medical attention as soon as possible. And GBL, which is a necessary component of GHB, and I was explaining that it undergoes a chemical reaction to become GHB. But some people will use it by itself. The only reason that you might know that they use GBL instead of GHB is that it has a bitter taste. Mm -hmm. If you're drinking your 7-Up and it's a bitter 7-Up, very likely it could be GBL in it. Mm -hmm. People will use GBL because it leaves the system so fast. They're willing to take the chance that you'll figure it out because of the bitter taste because they know in six hours it's going to be out of your urinary tract. Especially if somebody has already been drinking. I mean, after like the third or fourth drink, a lot of people won't even notice that you switched it out with water. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So especially then. Right, exactly. So they're taking the chance that you might recognize that your drink tastes funny, mm -hmm. but they know that they have now got, they got six hours and their tracks covered, basically. And their tracks are covered. Mm -hmm. It's in the bloodstream for 24 hours. So if you ever suspect that you may have been drugged, especially if you suspect that you have been drugged and assaulted because there are so many other factors mm -hmm. attached to assault, it's vital to preserve as much physical evidence as possible. It's really important that you not go and pour the best evidence down the toilet. Mm -hmm. Don't go urinate. If you have to urinate and you can't hold it, pee into a cup, put a lid on it, and put it in the refrigerator and save it and take it with you when you are able to get medical help. Yep. Because remember, if you wait two more hours, that evidence may be gone. Don't shower, don't bathe, and don't douche. There's DNA evidence on you. There may be other stuff that they can find that will help your case. So go to the emergency room and either wear or take the clothes that you were wearing at this time of the suspected drugging and assault. It's best to just leave them on and go because if you take them off things might fall off of it mm -hmm. but if you have already changed them when you realize that something bad has happened to you pick those clothes up and take them put them in a bag and, and go mm -hmm. request your urine be tested for drug toxicology because they may not automatically do that if there's any chance that you were sexually assaulted request a rape kit which is a sexual assault forensic exam mm -hmm. and request that it be reported to law enforcement because they may not automatically do that for adults unless they have your consent mm -hmm. nearly 11 million women in the united states alone only in the united states have been raped just while they were high drunk or drugged that's not all the rapes that's just the ones where someone took advantage of them while they were high drunk or drugged even if you choose to drink you're not at fault for being raped even if you choose to use recreational drugs you are not at fault for being raped and drugging another person without their knowledge is a felony mm -hmm. and that is not your fault if it happens to you and you should definitely pursue legal action because that person has assaulted you. 
Well, part of what makes me so mad about the story today is that people did do that, and they let them down. They ever absolutely let those girls down. They did. Because that wasn't easy to do. You know no. it wasn't, so. No, absolutely Ugh. not. You know, I don't know. We always talk about how infuriating it is that there are statutes of limitation mm-hmm. on violent crimes against people. Yeah. Why should there ever be a time limit after which you got to get out of jail free card? By the time they actually arrested him for these crimes, one of them at least was 12 years old. Had fallen off. I don't know if they have a statute of limitations in California for rape, but if they did, that woman... Sorry, out of luck. Like, yeah, so... That's bullshit, I know. So we can only hope that David Pierce is found guilty mm-hmm. because these charges are piling up. There are a lot of people that he has allegedly hurt. And I just hope he spends a very long time in prison for these deaths and all of those assaults and all of the women that he caused them mental torment. To know that something happened to you like that and have no memory of it Mm -hmm. would be such a traumatic thing to go through. I mean, think about if, if you've ever blacked out while drunk the next morning and you're like, oh God, what did I do last night? That feeling times a million, I'm sure. Yes. It's just like, because what now, happened to me? I don't know. Now something hurts. Mm-hmm. Now your clothes are over there. Now oh. you've got scrapes and bruises, and you probably okay. never will know. And it's just devastating. Unless the predator who did this to you was one of those idiots who videotapes it and saves it for his future viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's a disgusting predator. Yeah, and I that hope guy. that David Pierce's fellow prisoners know what a predator he is, and I hope that they make his life in prison very, very, very long. And prison justice. I'm here for it. I'm sorry. I don't care that that's wrong. But... Well, it's not even that I want them to murder him. I just want them to make his life complicated. Get, Get the G- day you deserve, David Pierce. Get the day you deserve. All right, huh. so that's all I've got. Okay, so we're going to Australia today. Okay. Sydney, to be more specific. This is the story of Lauren Huxley. In 2005, Lauren was 18 years old and studying journalism and marketing at Balkam Hills TAFE. That's the college there. Okay. While she was still living at home with her parents in Sydney, more specifically the neighborhood of Northmead. And she also lived at home with her sister at the time. November 9th was a spring day, because it is November, but they have opposite seasons, I always forget, in Australia. So it's very hot and sunny that day, but it started as normal for her. She finished an exam at school, and then she took the city bus back home and got off at the bus stop at about 2.07 p.m., and that becomes important later. So they have footage of her leaving the bus at 2.07, and then it was a 10-minute walk from the bus stop to her family home. Sometime about 2.17-ish p.m., Lauren arrived home, and she knew that nobody was supposed to be there because both of her parents worked and her sister was also at school. So she came home, fed the dogs, let them out in the backyard, and then she had two dogs at this point. And then she let them back in, and I guess it had become routine when it was a hot day. They would just open up the back door and leave it open, let the air circulate for a little bit before closing it. Okay. So she did that as usual and then went upstairs to go see if there's anything else she had to study for. As she's upstairs, she hears her dogs just going nuts downstairs. And she's like, what is going on with them? So she walked down and immediately saw a strange man in her living room who had come in through the back door. And she'd never seen him before. What is it Elena says? Fresh air is for dead people? Mm Mm-hmm. Stumbles upon this random man she's never seen before and starts to run to her parents' bedroom where the landline was so that she could call. 2005, so I guess she probably didn't have a cell phone yet. Yeah. 
and she didn't even get to call for the emergency services, but was not able to get through to them yet. And he came in, unplugged the phone, and started attacking her with the first thing he could find as a weapon, which apparently he had brought with him. Don't know. But he had a large pair of metal fibro cutters. What are fibro cutters? And I knew that you were going to ask that because I didn't know either. <laughs> it's like wire cutters? It's like wire cutters, and they can also be used to cut cement. It's for, like, welded wire fabric reinforcing in a concrete slab. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But look up a picture on Google Images, and you'll see it's not something you want to be hit with. No. For sure. No, it looks heavy. It looks heavy and sharp in places, so. Yes. He began attacking her at that before she could dial out on the phone. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to look at this, after this, she doesn't remember a goddamn thing. Well, he probably whacked her on the head enough times. Oh, yeah. Times. He, her face and her left eye socket, they said, took a brunt oh, of geez. the damage. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, and that was, like, where he was hitting her mainly. But she was hit all over. <sighs> so she doesn't remember anything. Thankfully. That's where she left off. Then at 4.30 p.m., so remember, she walked in home sometime after 2.15, 2.17-ish, she got attacked. That's oh. all we know. Okay. At 4.30 p.m., a fire was reported by the neighbors inside of the Huxley family home. So they got somebody out there and said, I don't think anybody's home, but can we please get the fire department here? And so they put it out, and then they walked through to see what could have possibly started this. And they found Lauren in the garage on the floor, bound, covered in gasoline, and bloody beyond imagination. Oh, she wasn't burning. She was covered with gasoline, though. Luckily, the intruder had poured the gasoline on her and then decided to cover his tracks to whatever he'd done to her in the living room and started it there. And the neighbors had seen it so quickly and got there so fast to help that she was saved before the fire ever even reached her. So the dude thought eventually it will get to her and she'll burn up and everything will be taken he care of. He thought all the evidence would be gone. Okay. Yep. And I don't, honestly, I don't even know if he knew that she was still alive when he left her, because she was in a very bad way, so. Oh my god. Lauren was immediately rushed to Westmead Hospital, where they told her family, due to the brutal crushing of her skull, she only had a 5% chance of pulling through. Whoa. Yeah, and but that was just... this is the second story, so I'm going to be hopeful about that 5%. Yeah, she had 5% chance of pulling through, and that wasn't total. That was the night. Yeah. It's so bad, you need to say goodbye to her right now. Wow. And so they did. Oh, wow, that poor family. For 23 days, Lauren was kept on life support and waiting to see if she would ever wake up, and finally she did. That's awesome. Good job, Lauren. The doctors explained to her and her family that there was a very low probability, based on the brain damage and all the injuries she had sustained, that she would be able to walk, talk, or even feed herself, live on her own at any point. So you're alive, but you probably won't be able to do much of anything because of the injuries but to your brain. But you'll essentially, yeah, be living with your parents. You guys might not even be able to communicate with her. Like, we think she's understanding what we're saying, but she can't speak. All she could do, her sister said in the process, she would just start screaming, and they couldn't figure out why, because that was the only way she knew to communicate. It was just a scream. But in her mind, did she later say, I did know what they were saying? She knew what was going on. She just couldn't understand why she couldn't talk. Yeah. That it wasn't exactly clear that she had been attacked yet, and they were kind of going easy on telling her what happened. Mm -hmm. For the next seven months, Lauren, however, did start to slowly improve and taught, well, she didn't teach herself. She, obviously, they had speech therapists come in. She started becoming able to speak and communicate with her family again and understood. They understood what she was saying. And then she also worked her ass off with physical therapists, and she began to walk on her own, and she began to feed herself, and she didn't need a tube to eat anymore and all that. So she made it through, and that only took seven months for her, and she finally got to go home. 
She also, during that time and for a couple years after, she had to go through a total of nine major surgeries. So these are just the life-saving ones where she's not going to be able to live a normal life if she doesn't have it. Yeah. And then on top of that, she's had countless reconstructive surgeries, as I'm sure you can imagine. Right. While Lauren was making her recovery in the hospital, the police had the task of trying to figure out who this random intruder had been. Because all she could remember was that a male intruder had come through her back door and that she did not recognize him. So that's kind of all they had to go off of. Did he hurt the dogs too? Or did I think the, dogs the dogs run out the door? Or? I think they were in the backyard after she first got attacked. Or at least once the fire started. Because it never said anything about her dogs having been hurt. Okay. Unfortunately for the police, the crime scene was largely destroyed from the fire because he did pour gas inside of the house too, so that didn't help. The only area that was damaged by the fire was the living room and the kitchen, so they could still get DNA off of the garage and the bedrooms. Okay. So in the bedroom, they found some DNA from this intruder on the rail behind her headboard where she had tried to jump over the bed, and then he had followed her. They also, when they got to the garage and started doing DNA swabs, they found the gas can in the garage on the cap that was used to unscrew it. They found male DNA there as well. Okay. So they sent that into the lab and they found out, yeah, they are both from the same man and it's not matching up to her father, who's the only man who has a reason to be in her bedroom. She didn't have a boyfriend, you know? Right. Or opening the gas can. Or opening the gas can. They're not even sure that, and we'll get back to it, that that gas can was even there. Parents aren't sure because they think he might have brought it with him. Okay. So this DNA submitted to their version of CODIS came back and it matched to a previous convict named Robert Black Farmer, who at this point was a carpenter for a living and did handiwork around town for people, which would kind of explain maybe why he had those tools on him. Right. He actually, at this point, lived two or three streets away from the Huxleys. So he probably was just walking by, saw a door open, and decided, I'm going to go in there and see what's going on, what I can do. How are you walking by and just seeing the back door open? Is he Mm. walking through the backyard? Well, we'll find out. He's a very bad guy. Uh, Yeah, we noticed that part about him already. He's an opportunist, for sure. Okay. The police brought him in to interview him, and he claimed that the day of Lauren's attack, he was at a bowling club playing poker. So they went and contacted the club, and they said, uh, yeah, in our club, you have to sign in when you come in before you can even play any of the games here. And we have no record of that guy being here. So he was bullshitting them. Yeah. Also, when they interviewed him, they collected his shoes, and everything came back to be a match, including the footprints. I mean, his shoes had been washed since then, but the footprints found in her blood matched the bottom of his soles, and he was stupid enough to wear those shoes to the interview. Yeah. At the time of the attack on Lauren, this guy Farmer had been on parole after an armed robbery with injury, and also had just recently posted bail for another charge just a month prior for stealing thousands of liters of gasoline. So if you're going to steal thousands of liters of gasoline, why are you going to use all your booty to go burn up people's houses? Well, now he's got so much of it, why not use it? He also had a total of 26 other similar convictions to the armed robbery with injury. So it sounds like literally an opportunist, just whatever he has on him is what he's going to use to get money or whatever from. He's just trash. Yeah. So he shouldn't have been out. If you had 26 other violent convictions in your past and you just had a robbery last month that you posted bail for while on parole, you broke your parole, 
this guy had no business being a three man. I think that's why they started the three strikes rule in places. Mm -hmm. But it turned out that they were arresting them for these little cannabis charges. Yeah. And then on the third cannabis charge, now they're in prison for 30 years. If it's not a violent charge, then it shouldn't count. Exactly. But if it is a violent charge, three strikes should be the rule. Two strikes is enough for me, honestly. Absolutely. In 2008, he was finally convicted and sentenced to 24 years and 6 months in prison, with at least 20 years served before he is eligible again for parole. All right. So here in 2028, he will be eligible. Oh, I forgot it was that long ago. Yeah, it was 2008 that he got Man, I was thinking, oh good, he'll be in there for a long time, but no, it's just a few more years. Enough of that, loser. Lauren was unfortunately unable to continue her studies at college because she does still have some memory issues. For the most part, she can do day-to-day normal things, hold a job, but it was just a little bit too much for her to go. Yeah. She instead, it didn't really say what she does. It says she works in Sydney full-time, lives completely independently, has her own place, doesn't need assistance from anybody. So That's that's, outstanding. Considering where she started? Yeah, pretty spectacular. That is. Good for her. She also does what a lot of our victims have done, because it's healing for her to talk about, where she goes and speaks at events for violent crimes against women, and just hopes that her story can help other people. Yeah. But I just wanted to end my story today with a quote that Lauren gives during her speeches. She says, Never be ashamed of your scars as it simply means that you were and are stronger than the person that tried to hurt you. So that was an amazing story. and Yeah, go Lauren. Lauren Huxley, right? Mm-hmm. Well, family, thank you for being here today. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at TrueCrimeBNB. And you can send us an email at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. Dot com, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dot com part's important. Yep. Next week, we'll see you for week 38. Holy cannoli. I know. Yep. Big four O's coming up soon. All right, guys. Thank you, crime fam. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. <coughs> okay, so I guess we're good with our... Um, Sound check? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Yep, I'm Beth. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Lies! Her husband. The guy she <laughs> Kitty. Uh-uh. You have scratchers. Use your scratchers. I could whoop the shit out of you, girlfriend. <laughs> Holy she's not gonna decapitate her. No decapitation. I don't even know where she is. She's under my chair. Oh, how is she making sounds in the corner? <laughs> I don't know. She's taking one of those throw your voice <laughs> to continue her study. Don't you fucking dare. I see the look in your eye. Yep. I knew it was coming. Electrical engineers can be sex workers too. <laughs> <laughs>